Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, March 12th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Australia moves to become more self-sufficient in providing COVID-19 vaccines. Meanwhile, China's state-run vaccine maker Sinopharm is struggling to achieve its global ambitions, and Spain plans to give gig workers some full-time benefits. Plus, we've got the FT's Katie Martin on the markets. We are in this funny kind of twilight zone in markets at the moment. It's really quite a difficult environment for people to navigate. We'll talk about the European Central Bank's decision to accelerate bond buying and the retail investor phenomenon. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Australia is deciding whether to co-fund a $1 billion Australian dollar biopharmaceutical plant. The FT is reporting on a plan that would boost Australia's access to medicines, vaccines, and raw materials needed to make pharmaceuticals. It comes a week after Italy blocked a shipment of the Oxford-AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine that was headed for Australia. Australia imports more than three-quarters of essential medical products. More than 90% of available medicines rely on essential ingredients from India or China. Now, many vaccine makers have become household names. Pfizer, Moderna, we mentioned AstraZeneca earlier. And China's Sinopharm wants to be on that list. Sinopharm is a state-controlled company and one of the first to develop a COVID vaccine. The FT's Beijing correspondent, Christian Shepard, has been reporting on the challenges Sinopharm faces in getting its jab to the global market. It isn't used to having to be transparent when talking about the efficacy of its vaccines or to share trial data. Um, When it operates within China, it sells vaccines directly to government-run programs, and so its credibility comes directly from the Chinese government. But now, of course, it has to operate beyond China's borders, and therefore it needs to be able to gain trust in all the countries that it hopes to be selling its vaccines. And that has proved something that has been difficult for the company. It still hasn't released much of its phase three trial data other than headline efficacy figures, which means that many regulators are struggling to know how to analyze those figures and to know exactly what has gone into them. So Christian, right now, Sinopharm vaccines are are being used in about a dozen countries outside China. That includes the UAE and Pakistan and Peru. Hungary was the first EU country to start using Sinopharm's vaccine, but it doesn't have approval from more stringent regulators. Do you think Sinopharm will ever be able to compete with the likes of AstraZeneca and Pfizer? It's going to struggle to get the same number of orders, but the advantage that Sinopharm has is that it is targeting mostly lower and middle income countries which are already struggling to secure vaccines. And that is, of course, in part a diplomatic win for China, that they are offering these vaccines sometimes as donations rather than selling them. So it's operating partly as a, as a soft power tool for China, even if it is unable to compete with Western candidates in higher income countries. Christian Shepard is the FT's Beijing correspondent. Gig workers in Spain may soon get a status upgrade. Madrid said yesterday it would introduce a decree that gives these workers employee status, meaning rights like collective bargaining and having access to information about the algorithms that affect their work. Spain would be the first country in the EU to amend these worker laws. The move follows several landmark EU court rulings against the Uber-style business model that considers workers to be self-employed. 
The Barcelona delivery group Glovo responded to the move by Spain by accusing the government of making things harder for these kinds of services. Services Glovo has described as a life support system during the pandemic. And Uber said its couriers in Spain opposed the move. It added that it was committed to giving independent workers more benefits while preserving flexibility and control. The European Central Bank yesterday said it would significantly speed up the pace of its bond-buying program. The ECB had been slowing purchases from its pandemic bond-buying program over the past few weeks. In our Friday Markets Roundup, I asked the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin, about the shift. That matters because it tells you that what we've seen in the U.S. government bond market recently, and that's the kind of... If the bond market is like a sort of solar system, this is like Jupiter, you know, everything revolves around, you know, it's a huge central gravity around US market. Yields there have been rushing higher. So prices of the bonds have been falling because people think there's inflation coming and all the stimulus that's been coming from governments is going to fire up growth and inflation. And this has just been kind of jacking up yields, jacking up borrowing costs all around the world. And this is the European Central Bank's way of saying, hold on, we don't want too much of that over here. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, because mm-hmm. this is the problem for central banks and this is the problem for, for finance ministers really around the world is they know that if inflation picks up too fast or if inflation expectations pick up too fast, then bonds are going to fall and that's going to make borrowing much more difficult for companies and governments pretty much everywhere. So this is the ECB's response. Got it. Got it. So I want to talk about another story that's significantly affecting the markets or significantly affecting the way that we perceive the markets. That's the story that never dies, Katie. GameStop. (laughs) What happened with GameStop this week? Yet GameStop refuses to die. The story refuses to die. So just when you think that the shares have kind of had had their moment in the sun and that this consoles retailer, as as I'm sure you recall, the shares in this company rocketed 2,000% higher in January when retail traders just latched onto it and it became this big battle between the old and new guard in in stock markets. Um, We kind of thought slash hoped that maybe that whole situation had calmed down. (laughs) And then earlier this week, the shares added like another 60% or whatever for no reason whatsoever. And then they crashed. And they crashed so fast that there was a number of trading halts that were implemented by the stock exchange to try and calm the market down. And that is the market's little way of telling you that this whole situation around GameStop is not going to go away. Yeah, but people who would disagree with you, Katie, would say, well, what about Chewy.com? Isn't this going to bring GameStop into 2021? I mean, as you say, there was this big investment at the back end of last year from um, one of the founders of Chewy, which is a pet food retailer. They've made noises recently that by bringing him on board around really kind of revamping their e-commerce strategy, but that's not enough to add 60% to a share price in a day by any sensible measure. That this is clearly one of these stocks that the retail community has latched onto and that increasingly the institutional investment community is latching onto too. So it's becoming a you know a real battle between uh, the haters and the fans of this stock and, and, and it's just going to keep reverberating. And that comes in the context of the fact that the, the whole retail trading scene is significantly bigger than anybody thought it, it would be. Um, and so we're just going to have to get used to certain stocks doing this from time to time if the retail trading community gets really attached to them. Katie, um, one more question for you, and that's we saw the NASDAQ go up and down and up and down this week. Uh, What's going on there? 
So it's all pretty much part of the of the first topic that we were talking about, which is the response to the bond market in the bond markets to this expectation that's building up among investors that we're going to see more inflation. In fact, you know, markets are kind of like a seesaw and as one one bit goes up, another bit goes down. And as as bond yields go up, that tends to be bad news for high-tech, high-growth stocks. And so they've suffered some really bad days recently. Just a few days ago, the Nasdaq had fallen hard enough that it was in in correction territory. And then, you know, switcheroo, there's some decent U.S. government debt auctions. The U.S. government bond market regains something of a footing and the Nasdaq starts shooting higher again. We are in this funny kind of twilight zone in markets at the moment where we don't quite know which way we're going to jump. We don't quite know whether inflation really is going to take hold like people worry it's going to. And so you're just getting these really wobbly moves in stocks, wobbly moves in bonds. It's pretty volatile out there. It's really quite a difficult environment for people to navigate. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Before we go, we want to tell you about a guy named Beeple. He's a contemporary artist, his real name's Mike Winkleman, and he created a file composite of digital sketches taken each day for more than 13 years. He auctioned that JPEG off at Christie's Auction House. Opening bid, $100. Now, you're probably wondering if Beeple's digital image is something you can find on the internet, screenshot, and make it your desktop photo, why was it sold at the prestigious auction house Christie's? Well, because it's a non-fungible token, or NFT. A non-fungible token, or NFT, is an encrypted file whose record of ownership is publicly logged on blockchain. In other words, it's a digital way to prove authenticity. Think of the Mona Lisa. You can buy a reproduction of the Mona Lisa for a few euros in the Louvre gift shop, but it's not the same as owning the original. Same thing with Beeple's non-fungible token. You can screenshot it, but it'll never be the original. And what you gotta know is that NFTs have become ridiculously popular among investors. Beeple's sold for a whopping $69.3 million. Christie says that makes Beeple among the top three most valuable living artists. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.